Are we ready to do this? No. We have, what are we drinking, people? We are drinking Robert Mondavi Private Selection Cabernet Sauvignon, California 2016, and it's delicious. And some of us are drinking kombucha. Mm -hmm. 221 Honey Matcha. Nice. And the voice you just heard, everybody, is Rebecca High. She goes by Becca High. And she is my clinical coordinator. And uh, it's important that I introduce her differently from Alicia and I. And the reason is that she is probably filling the continuum from primarily clinical, and I'm going to have you tell them what you used to do, to this clinical research mix with Dr. Vos. Woo! Oh, Dr. Vos, who well, has a extensive an clinical background and has now finished her PhD and is now Dr. Vos. As of 48 hours ago, because my degree got confirmed two days Conferred. ago. Conferred. Conferred. Obviously, I am new to this. <laughs> Conferred. We are going to be talking about swallow onset. You can call it swallow initiation. You can call it swallow onset. You can call it swallow trigger. You can call it stage transition duration. You can call it swallow reaction time. Swallow reaction time. You can call it call it the time when the highway bursts relative highway bursts relative to the bolus position. Why is this important? Because there have been so many papers suggesting that there's a lot of variability, but the word on the clinical street is that clinicians are still penalizing patients for initiating a swallow with the bolus in the vollecula. And so we wanna talk about these issues because even at the bedside, people are making judgments about things like swallow onset. And this is a pretty uh, difficult topic for some people. It's uh, the third, it's the third installment in our Swallow sure. Physiology series. So we're yep. going from lips to we're UAS. now in the pharynx. We're now in the pharynx. Well, no, we're the transition between the oral and the pharynx, aren't we? We're close enough. We're, we're close enough to the For me to, to be pharynx. comfortable now. For you to be comfortable, I know. <laughs> okay, so, uh, Becca, can you please tell us about your background? Okay, so thanks for the introduction. I have been working in the field for almost a decade now, and I've worked pediatrics to geriatrics, um, but definitely with a focus on medical SLP and um, instrumental swallowing assessment. So I've worked outpatient, um, mobile endoscopy, and then acute care, so a lot of um, fees and fluoro and joined the lab about almost a year ago now. Mm -hmm. So Almost a year ago, yeah. and I met you at the, technically I met you at the Normal Swallowing 101 course, but yes. I understand that you saw a talk that I gave to a bunch of radiologists and neurologists long before that about who an SLP is, and you were the Where? lone SLP in Deerfield, Deerfield Beach, Beach. It, it was in, in May of 2017. Was that 16? Was that 2016. It was Deerfield Beach, like South Florida, somewhere down there. I just got the Facebook memory of <laughs> of me and all the other leads in the rehab department. Um, we took a walk on the beach after the conference, but we were pretty much, I think, some of the only rehab um, people there was mostly... And you were like one of the only SLPs. Yeah. And I'm giving this talk to all these non-SLPs about what an SLP does and why we matter. And why we need imaging and review, be able to review your fluoro mm -hmm. and I mean, just everything Ianessa was saying was just... Speaking to me, yeah. Preach. Yeah, my whole, and the whole department was looking at me like, oh my gosh. Is this gosh, true? Like this, yeah, they is were. Is she a wacko? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, from there, I, I guess this is where I can say I became a long-time listener and first-time <laughs> guest on Downhatch. But... This is your first time as a guest? Yeah. yeah. 
You guys have wow. been with me in my workouts for a really long time. <laughs> I know, but I feel like you've been, I, th- I feel like you were a guest before, but I guess. You know, Those are all of the meetings that we had for your dissertation data. <laughs> where, she'd, where she'd quote you to yourself. Oh my god! I would be. I would text people that I used to work with. And be, when I first got here to you know to work in the lab, I was like, "You guys, I'm meeting with down the hatch in a few minutes." Oh my god! Little did you know how much how crazy we are. Yeah, and how insane this is, where we are literally just talking to an iPhone right now. That's right. Yeah. There's nothing fancy about this setup, but there is something fancy about Swallow on set. So let's jump right in. So I think we should start with defining what research suggests swallow onset is characterized by versus what maybe the clinical world suggests. Oh, why do we even care? Like, why, why do we, we even care? care about, like, what is onset? it? What is, what is it? it? What is why it, it actually? Matter? Why is it something that we even look at? This is true. Uh, I'll start with the research stuff and you guys uh, then chime in perhaps sure. with the ocean. Yeah. So, uh, in the world of research, we think that swallow onset is marked, if you're using video fluoroscopy, by the forward, fast, upward movement of the hyoid, which we sometimes call hyoid burst. It's the blur of the hyoid. And it's not that the hyoid is necessarily the most important thing. It's just often the first thing. It's often most visible. And it's a representation of the muscles that tend to trigger first as per a very old um, Dodie and Bozema Dodie, study 19- from 1956. 50- I thought it was no, 1956. 51. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, I could be wrong. I the thought it was 1956. The mylohyoid is the first muscle. That's right. The mylohyoid, which is connected, fans across the line of the mandible, all the way to the hyoid, is one of the first muscles to trigger, leading to hyoid movement. And if that's the first muscle to move, we use hyoid burst as a proxy to represent the mylohyoid. Yes. And then there's a cascade of initiation from that muscle all the way to muscles way down in the pharynx. And it's a very, it's a classic study, right? Yeah. And so... Um, it's been replicated by Rebecca German and baby pigs showing a very similar outcome. Mm -hmm. So that's why in research we use the hyoid burst as the marker of the onset of the pharyngeal phase of swallowing and generally the termination of the oral phase because they don't happen simultaneously. Yeah, it's one of those things. Sorry, can I just say this? Yeah. And then it should be followed by a cascade of stereotypical yeah, events in exactly. healthy adults. It's not just the hyoid burst and then nothing happens. Yeah. It leads to the rest of the pharyngeal behaviors, including um, pharyngeal squeeze and contra- contraction, the stripping sure. wave, laryngeal elevation and closure, uveus opening, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So it needs to be the leading thing in that cascade of events. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the other events that happen, there's a lot of overlap and there is a lot of um, changes in sequence of events, but truly... The importance of the onset of the pharyngeal swallow is that nothing else is going to move until it gets that go signal to say we need to cease breathing and we need to close the airway in order to accommodate the bolus into the esophagus. And that's really the marker for that sequence of events happening. So it's really important. It's one of the most important events that we look for when we evaluate swallowing. In fact, if we're going to decide that someone's aphagic, meaning there is no swallow, that's typically because there is sure. no trigger to even start anything. Sure. Yep. So the difference between dysphagia, meaning there's a swallow, but it's not great, it's disordered, versus aphagia, meaning yep. there's no swallow, is typically because there's no trigger to yep. even get it going. And I think of it as, as an a- like an action potential where it's an all or nothing phenomenon, where 
there is, there's a trigger and there's a sequence of events that happens or there's not. There's really no room for in between in terms of those events. Um, that is really the most important piece that needs to be seen. One thing I, I tried to do um, when thinking about talking about Swallow Onset was, okay, I'm going to try to think about what was I looking at before I started working with you guys, right? Mm-hmm. And, and following, you know, the podcast and um, going online to step. And so one thing I realized is because I, I did my training in acute care and we were doing all fluoro, so you can see the hyoid burst. But then when I went, I moved away from uh, dysphagia treatment assessment for a couple of years and then came back into it doing fees. If the way that you're defining swallow onset, you know, in research is the hyoid burst, I'm thinking maybe that's why I wasn't even looking at that. You know, what is swallow onset? We were, I mean, I'm not sure what we were describing then. We were describing where the bolus was when whiteout occurred. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, so, in fees? Yes, in fees. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So, I was going to say. So by the time I came back around to working in acute care and you could actually see the hyoid burst again, I honestly think, you know, tracing back to when I first started doing floros again, I was really looking at more laryngeal vestibule closure as mm-hmm. like, okay, the swallow, like mm-hmm. that to me was sure. what I was looking at when I would say, okay, the bolus is here and that's when LVC started. So sure. just looking back before I started looking at more of a precise sure. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that on fees, you might be looking at a later event, but it is an event that has to happen once a swallow is triggered. It might not be the first marker of it, but it is mm-hmm. an indication that the swallow has happened. Yes, sure. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about the physiology and the neurophysiology mm-hmm. of how this happens? Sure. So in general, many studies show that swallow onset requires some kind of a sensory stimulus. Mm-hmm. So there have been studies... You can't just cognitively say... No. Swallow. Even if you tell somebody to swallow and their mouth is completely dry, they still have to sort of move things around and try to get some saliva going to get it going. So it's not just that there's this cognitive or cortical direct um, indicator, similar to a knee-jerk via patellar tendon um, stretching sure. with a, the little hammer on the thing. Sure, you can kick your leg volitionally, though. You don't need a sensory stimulus yeah. to kick your leg and get that same movement. You can't but get to have that a true reflexive yeah. one, you actually have to have the patellar tendon st- stretch and some sensory information there to change that, which goes to the level of the spine and right back out. You don't need the brain for that. Right. So when we talk about swallow onset, you need the brainstem for it. Mm-hmm. because the sensory information should trigger something at various areas, not just the oral cavity, not just the follicula. You can trigger a swallow as low as the piriform sinus, and that can be totally normal, um, leading to sensory information going to the brainstem, primarily nucleus tractus solitarius, mm-hmm. then sending information to many of the, um, the swallowing motor command centers to trigger that cascade of events and it's not so much important that we name every nucleus and every brainstem area now but the idea is that it's a sensory motor interaction by the time we're looking at this information on fluoro there has been a number of sensory uh signals that have been sent up into neurons etc to eventually send that cascade so we are looking at a representation of an adequate sensory signal that has led to an adequate motor response. It's not really about the hyoid. No, the it's hyoid not. just represents no. a, a sensory motor chain that's occurring right. in order. In and fact, it's, it's a bone. It's not even measuring the muscle, right? It's sure. just the best proxy we have. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's interesting because when you look at the all the muscles of the pharynx, I mean, they're 
they're very literal in a sense of their like we don't move until somebody tells us that we have the go signal to move. Mm-hmm. So if there's a bolus moving through the pharynx and there isn't that initiation, that um, go signal that they have been given, they say, I don't care. I have not been given the command to do, to contract. Mm-hmm. And they need that. Yep. And that's a really important factor because... One of the most common pathophysiologies in swallowing is that the swallowing trigger is either absent or it's delayed. It's How not do we timely. Know that? Can we talk about that? Because yes. here's the thing. They're in the normal swallowing 101 course that we have that's now mm-hmm. online. I talk about the all the studies showing that even just in stroke, there are so many papers showing that stroke, their, their classic characteristic problem is delay. The issue is they characterized delay as the swallow initiated with the bolus and the piriform a lot of times. Sure, the methodology which, is, is right, poor. But it's not that the methodology is poor, it's just that it totally goes against what normal people are doing. Normal people are initiating swallows with the bolus as deep as the piriform science. Sure. So they are not showing that this stroke population is different from normals. Now, if they give you a millisecond difference between the time that the highway bursts relative to the when the bolus head has reached the ramus of the mandible and they're saying in healthy people gosh you know what is happening in less than 500 milliseconds mm-hmm. and this guy's five whole seconds then i'm happy to manage uh, that's different sure so i think that we don't actually really know whether or not any particular swallowing um etiology is characterized by delays or that delays are most common because there's still studies showing swallow initiated with bolus and piriform sure. and you're saying i would say i would say clinically i would say delay is by far the most predominant. Yeah. So you're saying clinically people are saying it, but we don't actually know if it's different from the normal range. No. I mean, I, I can only speak on... Um, I haven't conducted that study, so I can only speak sure. on my own anecdotal experience. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fair, and I'm biased because I worked in an ICU population where a lot of the patients that I saw were heavily sedated. Mm-hmm. So um, from a physiologic perspective, it would make mm-hmm. sense that they don't have muscular deficits, mm-hmm. that they have deficits with... Um, total central nervous system depression Mm -hmm. so that um, you know a delay in in some of those um, that transmit of neuronal whatever you want to call it like if the action potential isn't happening as robustly or as as quickly I think is more common and it makes more sense when you think about the physiology of why some of our patients have issues but it also makes sense as to why they recover very quickly after you see them for Mm -hmm. a week that they Mm -hmm. don't actually have true dysphagia Mm -hmm. in the sense of um long-term deficits um and you don't necessarily need to give them therapy but they the system's going to work. They don't initiate, but it's also the same in, in their other systems where when you say raise your hand, that they're like... Sluggish. Yeah. Sluggish and everything. It's an are... entire central nervous system depression sure. that mm-hmm. I wouldn't actually expect their swallowing to be yeah. normal. It's all sensory motor systems are down right now. Exactly. Yeah. And that's very common with somebody that has undergone any type of anesthesia. Yeah. So yeah. in an ICU setting... Uh, in, in an acute setting in general, you get a lot of that where you just need to keep your hands off of patients and mm-hmm. just let them get better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely see that if, 
if they have a, you know, they're going to have slow reaction time, like you said, to a lot of different sensory motor activities and just the consequences are different with, with swallowing, with airway protection versus if you say, raise your hand and they're slow or you say, open your mouth or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's, it's not that big of a deal if they're slow reaction time. Their eyelids, everything. Yeah. So, so that's my bias in the acute care. I will say Mm -hmm. when I worked in outpatient, um, delay swallow initiation was not the predominant so, so these are people that are past that acute phase yeah. they're they're beyond spontaneous recovery they're like i have dysphagia sure. help me i can't swallow yes. these people have more issues so let me ask you guys this uh, two things one is i just want to talk a little bit about the papers and then second i want to ask you if a delay is necessarily a problem so the sure. first thing is this idea that Papers as far back as 1928, Pomeranke has been showing that there is no specific location sure. that will invariably lead to swallow initiation across healthy people. Wait, so you're saying that the fascial pillars are not the be all end all? Be yes. all end all. And where do we get fascial pillars from? So I do this whole thing in that course about Jerry Lokeman's first book, The Purple Book. 1983, I believe. You just dated yourself. I know. But that wasn't even my book. That was the edition before mine. the orange book, right? No, that was my book. My book was the orange and black book. But it was my book, the orange and black book, that was the updated, revised one. In the purple book, if you go to the purple book, it indicates that the swallow must initiate when the bolus head has reached the the anterior fascial arches. That must be. And that came from the Pomeranke paper in 1928, indicating that Anywhere from the fascial arches all the way down to the deep posterior pharynx, you could trigger swallow. But in general, the anterior pillars tend to be the most sensitive. That means they took a mechanical stimulus and stroked the fascial arches and all these other regions, and they found this generally tends to be the most sensitive. That doesn't mean it's the only spot where you sure. can initiate a swallow. I mean, we got to cut them some slack. Like, women couldn't even vote at this time. Like, I thought you were going to say something about... Orgasms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because okay. Can I talk about that what we're talking about stroking and we're talking about the spot and that there's oh, only one well, spot. I just thought we were talking about the oral cavity, so I was like, what are we Okay. <laughs> wow, my brain okay, it's just crazy. Line. It's crazy. Nineteen twenty eight. Nineteen twenty eight is when this study Almost happened. Almost hundred years ago. Exactly, indicating that there's no one spot for everybody. Okay? <laughs> Why? Oh, guys, well, guys, now, now, that you you up, about, now that you brought it up, Pareach. Stroking the fossil pillar. I know, exactly. Some the 1% of male later. SLPs that I are know. in our field are like, let me write this down. <laughs> Can we get back to business people? Okay. okay. So anyway, the point is that just because that tends to mean the most sensitive spot, it just means everyone's spot. Fine. Okay. Okay. Can we get past this? I'm okay. a different spot. Thank you. However, <laughs> however, she took that information and said, this is everyone's spot. Period. Sure. This is just a spot for everybody. And that's not the case. So then there were several papers that came out afterward indicating that healthy individuals can initiate a swallow with a bolus, bolus head in various locations. And then by the, uh, the 1998 book, which was the black and orange book that I learned from, she changed it to, well, it could be a little bit later, as deep as the ramus of the sure. mandible. So it's not like in various locations. It's just that they took that but area. Still the, they but still the, the radius. Yeah, but It's not like you can issue. tickle the feet and get the same response. We're still talking about the posterior oral cavity. Mm-hmm. But the problem is then when people say, wow, but the volecular is lower than the mandible. So anyone who initiates a swallow in the volecular must be disordered and must be on thickened liquids. 
and not be on thin liquids anymore. Fabric this is the kind yeah. of thing you keep seeing in reports sure. that this is where a swallow starts. 2019. Yeah. And there have been papers from people like Bonnie Martin Harris and Lyndon in 1989 showing that this is not the case. Sure. So I remember that information that people can trigger a swallow at, you know, later than the oral cavity. Even, you know, even when I was in grad school. So I was in grad school. Um, I was taking dysphagia in like 2008. And I remember... What a spring chicken you are, my dear. <laughs> I remember being told that, though, that we used to think it had to be at the fascia arteries, mm-hmm. and now it can be later. So, But I think at some point when we kind of, SLPs, we go off on our own, we start becoming the protector of the airway. So yeah. even though there's this data sure. out here that says everybody has, you know, different trigger points, it can, you know, different areas of the oral um, and the pharyngeal cavity can trigger a swallow... At some point, that's our job. Is mm-hmm. it got too close to the airway? It's getting close to the airway. Now we have to stop it, and we just throw all of the mm-hmm. information out about what's already that person's baseline or what's normal. <laughs> sure. so. well, here's what's really interesting. Again, got to go back to the normal one on one course. Is that we then had speech pathologists actually view their own swallows in front Mm -hmm. of everybody on the big screen. And many of them initiated their swallows in the place where they would tell a patient that that's abnormal. So the problem still comes back to people not having seen enough normal swallows. Oh, 100%. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I'm one of those people. um, I penetrated on pudding. So (laughs) that was, but I will say I got most of my normals doing a whole when I was doing um mobile endoscopy we were seeing I was just seeing a lot of people and mostly sniffs sure. and so you're seeing a lot of people I mean I mean just normal aging anyways yeah. and so you're just seeing a lot of people that this is their this is how right. they're eating yeah. now and and most of it was not even they have a history of aspiration pneumonia yeah. they have a history of this it was hey these people are maybe bedridden and we're concerned, like, is it even safe for them to eat? And yeah. you go in there, and they're, they're swallowing like a sure. champ, or yeah. they're filling up the paraforms. I think it's, you know? I think it's a combination of confirmation bias and self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So I think that when you get somebody on your caseload that you think should have dysphagia for whatever reason, they have a certain yeah. etiology. You will find it, or they just look like somebody that have dysphagia. They have lined tubes and drains. They're sick. They have all these things, and. If they initiate at their piriforms, then you might deem them as high risk, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that, I think, I mean, if we're going to go really big picture here, I think that part of it has to do with a problem in our medical system of everybody is so specialized that you, you take care of the area that you specialize in and you don't worry about what everybody else is doing. So or the whole health system. So, sure. This whole this person's whole the body. whole health system. It's just like, okay, well my job is to keep food and liquid from getting into your lungs. So the way that I do that is that well if you initiate in your piriforms, you're already kind of sick. So I'm already predisposed maybe this isn't what you're thinking, but it's like, okay, well I already think that you have dysphagia and you're predisposed, so you initiate at your piriforms. That, to me, makes you a higher-risk situation, yeah. and I don't want you to aspirate, so it's easier for me to prevent anything getting into your lungs at all costs. And it's like the tag phrase that I always think of is, 
aspiration hashtag not in my watch yeah so i'll put you or on nimby honey, not i'll put you on honey thick yeah. liquids i don't care if that means that you're going to be dehydrated you're not going to get nutrition because to be uh, fair that is the one of the most common things that people do they sure. don't for delays but that's somebody else's problem yeah, yeah no but for delays let's think about what people do you see somebody their very first swallow in a long time yeah has a delay right yep. fine okay and the very next thing you do is thicken the liquids, and then it, then or that same touch. then that same delay is not a problem. You haven't changed the delay. It's just that they have longer time before they have to respond. So now that slow response time isn't problematic. So you actually make yourself feel comfortable. Meanwhile, the patient is stuck on thick liquids because sure. you're more comfortable with sure, it. Sure, you're more comfortable. And honestly, if they can't get their nutrition, they can't take their medications. That's not my problem. Yeah, I am the speech pathologist, and I keep things out of your airways. You figure it out. That's yeah. your problem. And I think that that's a model that is really problematic when it comes to patient-centered care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it brings up a whole another conversation about nutrition and diet recommendations and stuff that we've the, talked about. We but won't the issue into, really but. is that it's the delays that seem to be leading to these diet modifications more than anything else because they're the easiest to fix immediately exactly not because you did you fix the physiology you just made it so that that slow physiology is less of a problem when it has a much slower bolus relative to it yes does that make sense Mm -hmm. you haven't caused a swallow to happen faster that same slow swallow is not a problem anymore sure but it's sort of like you know if we're going to use the analogy with physical therapy it's that a patient has been bedridden for two weeks and then you say get up and walk to the bathroom and they're a little shaky and they kind of they just they're going to need a few minutes to kind of get that motor program going but after 20 seconds you sit them down and you think that that's going to be representative of their gait their for the whole next life year. of locomotion yes, that's right that, well you are what you are your first yeah. step was shaky stepping out of the bed so now you're bedridden sorry hun sorry yeah a wheelchair because I'm afraid that you're going to fall. So based on what I just saw, you should be in a wheelchair. Or when you were going to fall. Because hashtag fall, not on my watch. That's right. Hashtag not on my watch. And it's almost like saying, well, your response to falling was really delayed. Like, you know, if we're going to fall, we're going to snatch all the stuff on our way down and try to get ourselves up. You went down like a bag of rocks. So you're, you have delayed uh, response to falling. Sure. And so you just have to not ever walk again. You're just going to be in a wheelchair. Sure. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but it's actually not ridiculous in our world. Sure. So there are, in my opinion, three things that we have to address because we could just talk about this forever. One is how do we differentiate between, uh, we've talked about this. I feel like we haven't directly addressed it on the podcast. Maybe we have, but it's worth bringing up again because it comes up again is how do we differentiate between what's truly a delayed initiation mm. and premature spillage okay so this goes to my question about why do we when do we care when i was saying before let's define it and let's talk about if it's actually a problem sure so if somebody has a delay and they never penetrate or aspirate it doesn't matter first of all you have done your due diligence on video fluoroscopy or whatever imaging and you have pressed them you have challenged them and yes that delay maintains but they never have significant issues with aspiration don't or they me. do, and they're not a risk at risk for pneumonia. Do we care? No. Get off my face, load. I don't care either. Get out of here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's just, like I say, do that all day. If, if I, I push them and you need to do 45 sequential swallows for it to finally a drop get into your airway, get off my freaking face, Exactly. Yeah. Bye. You're exactly. I don't care. Like, yeah. I, I, I actually can't think of a situation where I do care. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. 
Like, I mean, oh I'm, my yeah, gosh, that's great. You're and then good. wait, they did aspirate and they cough it right back out. Good for you. Yeah. You caught your fall. Thanks yeah. for that. I thanks that. for thanks for allowing your system to respond. I did yeah. that last night at dinner. So, yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the I'll other interesting thing is to me is that none of these speech pathologists who had delays knew they had a delay. So why are we thinking we're going to make these people with sensory issues somehow sure. fix it? They, if you didn't know in your intact sensation, how are these as a patient's going to know? So yeah. I'm not saying there's no way to treat swallow onset issues. I'm just saying it has to be a the primary and big, big problem that leads to significant aspiration such that I'm worried about things like asphyxiation with, with solids and yeah. you are at a very high risk for pneumonia. You're really sick for that to be the primary thing that I like, oh, whoa, whoa, shut it down. We have to manage this. Sure. And please stop seeing things on fluoro and saying like what we just talked about in that case like right you can see it you say you challenge the patient they're not penetrating they're not they're not aspirating okay even if they are penetrating who yeah. cares right yeah. maybe yeah. Even nobody if cares aspirating who yeah. cares yeah. like mm-hmm. um you know that's a decision that you make please stop billing these patients to say i just want to stop by their bedside a couple more times just to diet check and make sure that they're okay and what the heck can you even check at the bedside with a delay. But it makes them feel good. It makes the SLP feel good. Yeah. That's right. Which is absurd. And so it sounds like these are dollars. Like these are this is money. That's it's money. Being it's spent. time. It's not just money spent by the patient. It's your salary getting paid to do jack crap. But it's also allocation of therapy services where you're seeing that patient, which in a lot of um, therapy models means that because um, we don't act in a silo. It means yeah. that you go and see that patient for a therapy session, it's taking away from a different therapy session. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when you, like, uh, especially SLP and OT, mm-hmm. a lot of times our therapy services have to be combined. Yeah. Where it's not, you get this many sessions, I get this many sessions. It's um, it's not just useless SLP services. Maybe, it's useless SLP services in place of probably place, useful OT. Sure. OT. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so it sounds like we agree that the delay in and of itself, while is the thing that SLPs really like to focus on, it might not be as useful. One, if you don't really define it properly. Two, mm-hmm. if it doesn't lead to much. And even if it does lead to aspiration, aspiration is not necessarily always the enemy. I yep. think it's easy. It's also really easy to see. Like yep. on the SLP paper, was that one of the like the deficits that was identified? Yeah, it was the first. It was I the mean, easy it's, swallow. It's striking, right? But it wasn't so striking because in the SLP paper. It was a twenty like twenty nine second long delay, and only sixty seven percent of respondents actually picked it up as the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. When there was no other problem. And wait, now let's just make sure to answer your question. The other thing is, many of them may have said things like premature spillage, and so let's quickly differentiate the two. Mm-hmm. Swallow sure. onset delay means you volitionally tried to initiate the swallow. You had base of tongue retraction you push the bolus back and nothing happened in the pharynx there was no trigger nothing it just sat there sure. meaning the sensory information was there the volitional act was there nothing happened that's sure. a swallow onset delay premature spillage means that you didn't volitionally try to push the bolus back but it went back prematurely of your volitional intent to initiate the swallow that's the difference but neither of them necessarily are problematic healthy right. people prem spill on certain boluses Prem spill is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not the enemy. We do it with mixed consistencies oh, all the time, and we've published these data with cereal. ice, Just think cereal, cereal, with ice, anything where you have two consistencies or an a, a, a orange wedge. Watermelon, if you, yeah. Watermelon, yeah, anything where there's... Exactly, anything where the bolus needs to be broken down 
but there's thin liquids that need a place to go, they're gonna just drain back down. So just like you said, we have these natural pockets in our throat, including the vollecula and the piriform sinuses. We have our area epiglottic folds where the bolus flows around our airway and sits there until we're done breaking something down. Because what's our biggest fear actually? Our biggest fear is sending something back that is not broken down enough that will kill us immediately. Yeah. Not that we'll one day maybe give us pneumonia if we have too sure. much aspiration. Aspiration is actually not what our body is prioritizing. Think about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. If we, our bodies, our healthy bodies are allowing thin liquids to flow back there before the swallow, but will not allow an unprepared bolus as something that's not properly chewed up to go back, it tells us really we should be focusing on things like mastication and yep. breaking food down over this idea of aspiration of thin liquids. Because mm-hmm. yep. asphyxiation can kill you immediately. Are we going to talk about um, how to assess a delay then? Because both of you brought up that, say, acute care, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't swallowed in a while, and that first reaction is sure. not good. No, you're well, right. I so I, you so may alluded when, to it. How would you want to mm-hmm. see, like, how would you want to see that assessed under fluoro? Just, sure. So you're talking, well, can we just talk about this idea that there are three ways to assess it and we have we some ways you can't do it mm-hmm. so there's a clinical bedside there's mm-hmm. fees and there's video fluoroscopy we've already talked about video fluoroscopy being mm-hmm. so keep in mind if you want to know the transition from the oral phase to the pharyngeal phase you have to be able to see both the oral phase and pharyngeal phase bottom line that's one and two so uh-oh. would you say that <laughs> video fluoroscopy is the only way to truly objectively measure a delay well yes and the reason i would say that is because you have to know where the bolus is relative to swallow onset. So mm-hmm. if you have, if let's say we can reliably indicate swallow onset with fees, reliably, but relative to what? Where's the bolus? What if someone triggers the bolus in the oral cavity? How do you know where, how you can't see it? Sure. I, I brought this conversation up. I was at a recent fees conference and I, we had this conversation and um, what the um, rationale was given to me was it's, um, where the bolus head is in relation to whiteout. But what does whiteout actually mean? In order for whiteout to to so here's the thing with um quantifiable information that is has fills all the all the criteria for what is an obj- what is objective. You have mm-hmm. to have reliability. You have to have normative data. You have to have validity. Mm-hmm. You have to have inter and intra rate reliability. That means you have to have that camera lens at exactly the same spot mm-hmm. for everybody to know what it means when any structure covers the that camera indicating whiteout. Is it the epiglottis? Is it the velum? Is it the pharynx? What is causing the whiteout? So if you're way too deep, then it's a different thing causing the whiteout. And maybe the swallows happened, started long before. If you're way up high, it's a different thing causing the whiteout. Yeah, it's whiteout valid, itself, yeah. exactly. Whiteout itself is not validated sure. by anything. So, but, okay, so can we say that, but there are instances in, during a fees assessment where you can say that a swallow is delayed because... If you see a bolus in the pharynx for a prolonged period of time and no whiteout period has occurred, meaning mm-hmm. there's the swallow has not been initiated, then you can you can't see the hyoid bone, you can't see that burst. Mm-hmm. But because it's like you can fees is great when it's obvious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it's nuanced, when we're talking about milliseconds, mm-hmm. that's when it's really challenging. Right. To be able to delineate that. So let me answer your question. What we can absolutely see with fees is the depth of the bolus. 
and that nothing has happened. But we don't know if this is a delay or premature spillage because we don't have an indication of what swallow onset is based on the actual tongue movement to volitionally get this thing going. Sure. I think we are guessing so that... you have to be good at your cues. And I think it depends we don't, we on... Don't, we, we know that they probably should have swallowed, but we also don't know if they meant to start to swallow because maybe they were cool with letting the bolus sit there for a second and they were savoring the bolus, they were chewing something, they were just doing something in the oral cavity or they were just not doing anything. Sure. We, just, we, we don't know what's going on in the oral cavity to differentiate. So would you say the difference being that with fees, there's a lot that we can... A lot of things that we may or that we may be able to say, but mm-hmm. you, it has to be with a caveat that it's inferred. Okay, I'm happy with that, but here's what I'm most unhappy with. I'm happy with that. I'm unhappy I feel with like Switzerland. Right okay, now. yeah, I'm unhappy. <laughs> I'm unhappy with the idea that one cannot suggest that a tool is not the be all end all without some implication that you have a personal bias against a tool. Here's what I'm going to say about fees and fluoro. I don't give two shits about one or the other. I just want the one that does the job. I don't make money whether people use fees or fluoro. I don't benefit from the one that someone chooses. I simply want the tool that works. So my saying these things is not a referendum on anything. It's simply saying I cannot see it. That's all. And if you can see it, if you can tell me what whiteout always means, then I would like you to do a simultaneous fees and floral and show me that your camera is always exactly at the same point with every single swallow and always the exact same structure touches it. Slow clap. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, one thing you can see, but it depends on your scoping and that person's anatomy. I mean, you can sometimes see um, what looks like volitional, you know, tongue movements to start like pumping to start a swallow so that's where i think you know my reports and you've done mobile fees yeah i would be describing the events that happen but you can't really say what's happening with the anatomy like the hyoid Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know you can't really you just are kind of describing right tongue you know and the same thing with flora when someone's doing tongue pumping do i know that they're just not doing i don't know exactly what they're intent was i can ask them hey what were you trying to do there yeah and they might not give me a coherent answer i don't know I sure. I'm sitting here. But laughing. at least I know they're doing tongue pumping. Yeah. When you said, well, on fees, can you see the hyoid um, burst? I'm thinking, well, can we, again, I'm laughing, but I'm like, can we, can you be like scoping somebody and palping? <laughs> I was just sure. like, it's ridiculous. It's not a good joke, but yeah. But okay. So can we talk about bedside and can we talk about the fact that I've seen reports that say there's been a 3.2 second delay in swallow onset? Yeah. What is point two? What is it? No. 200 milliseconds? Okay, you can tell that with your fingers? Give me a break. You can't even confirm a swallow happened, much less how... I know they have this whole thing where you put your fingers on the submental, on the hyoid, and on the larynx, and you get a sense of when there's a bulge in the submental region. That doesn't tell you anything. I'm just going to stop you right there. I can't even listen to that. <laughs> I think the only thing you can say is, say you saw them take a sip, and and you can say that you saw movement right like you saw them or you felt you, laryngeal movement yeah, or you yeah. Didn't. but and you so, don't know perhaps, but you don't know what behavior it's tied to yeah yeah, yeah. you can you i don't can, even i wouldn't even say that i wouldn't even it give, feels the same in healthy people perhaps if you felt a hundred healthy people and it was like okay i'm gonna go swallow and then it felt like oh yeah i felt movement i felt movement but when it comes to people that have dysphagia all bets are off yeah, yeah. I think all that's bets what, are off. exactly and again if i we're all drinking wine and kombucha so i'm assuming that you guys believe that when i down this glass it's not going all into my lungs why because you're i am in my house and sure. i'm an otherwise healthy person 
all bets are off. The stakes are high when you are billing to be an expert that is making specific in decisions about someone who is probably sick or maybe not sick. That's when you can't say, well, I can assume X, Y, Z. That's mm, when you are saying, yeah. no, I'm putting my license on the line, my supposed expertise to be able to differentiate sure. these things. Now it's different. Sure. So giving me all this delay onset, you don't even know if they swallowed. We sure. just know the bolus is gone. You didn't feel a bump on your finger. Yeah. I have a really important question. Do okay. we feel like... If we studied people that are inebriated, that their swallow reaction time you can outside do this right of now. the <laughs> you can do this to me right now. We don't have to speculate. You can just touch my neck, and you will find in a, the inebriated ENS right now. It would be 0. 0.5 <laughs> slower. Than... It would be 0. 0.5. But hey, doesn't it take 0. 0.5 for the signal to go from your finger to your brain to interpret what that even 100%. meant? I mean, come on. The, I mean, it's not like our fingers. But we know that the cerebellum is important for motor control, and I just wonder. Yeah. If... I'm strong, baby. <laughs> a taxi right here well i was just thinking it'd be interesting if if you were really gonna if you're really gonna have people that are confident in their palpation skills mm-hmm. to do some kind of a, a like a, a training experiment where they're palpating and actually getting to watch the same swallow under fluoro but the fingers get in the way we need yeah. to make a comedy about speech pathology where somebody yeah. you know you know like you see the Somebody touches a hot surface or something, and it's hot. Like, they don't realize yeah. it's hot, but, like, they, like somebody that just touches a hot surface. And, and they, like, they withdraw oh, really quickly. Like, my tools are gone. Like, they yeah. can't feel, like, cervical auscultation, or mm-hmm. not cervical auscultation, but palpation mm-hmm. as much because their their fingers have been are burned. Anything. It's like the danglies in your tongue, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. if you had hot liquid. Where were you going with that? I just thought it was funny. Okay. Well, there's that. I gotta bring us back when we get too serious about Yeah, Okay. <laughs> So, uh, can we all talk, uh, close out with... What do we do about this? What do we do about this? We don't have to do anything about this. We, we're doing something about this. No, I mean, by... like, how do you treat it? Somebody, does, does, somebody delay, actually, wait, does okay. it delay? Okay, again. Because people, people actually does, have delayed yeah, people, initiation. People do have delays. That's true. But do we treat it by increasing sensory information about the bolus? Because a lot of studies show that... It, you habituate after a while. So while that cold bolus may have been prompted you or that sour bolus may have prompted you, you habituate just like everything else. So I have had patients where on fluoro, I tell them just swallow faster and don't let the black stuff go in your airway. And they do. You know why? Because it's brainstem, it's uh, it's what we call top down or yep. um, exogenous. It is a cortical command to the brainstem to do it faster as opposed to assuming the bottom up meaning the sensory information will somehow tell the brainstem sure. something and it'll figure it out. If you if you have a cognitively intact person, often I'll say, hey, look right now, see what's happening. Before you even swallow, the stuff is already way down here. Don't let the stuff get past this level. I want you to swallow faster. A lot of times they can figure it out on their own. Sure. They can self-fix, as we say. Well, it's the same thing with the sensory input in the sense of like, I think about, about it like, I have a nine-month-old right now who's trying to learn how to walk, mm-hmm. and he, a lot of, you know, right now he has the strength to walk. He has all of the motor capabilities to do it, but he is trying to figure out the sensory integration. He also doesn't have the experience yet. Sure. Right? He, he, he just needs the experience. He needs to fall. He needs to be on uneven surfaces, and we we have to let him do it. Yeah. So and what's the hard. biggest, what's the biggest mom, thing? What's the biggest fear? thing? Yeah. Yep. We just have to let him do so it. The we have to let thing... him fall. He has to bump his head. We fill out accident reports to take care all yeah. the time. But like we have to let him do it. Yeah. Otherwise he won't get better yeah, at it. So practice. what's the biggest thing 
the biggest thing is stop taking these patients' experiences away. Sure. Speech pathologists think they can go in and do something. Actually, sometimes doing nothing and gives them a chance to experience. If you keep giving them thickened liquids, how are they going to learn how to swallow faster sure. to a, relative to a thinner it's liquid like that they haven't experienced? But it's like keeping Hudson in a stroller all the exactly. time. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. I don't want him to fall so he can't exactly. practice walking. He can't fall, uh, you know. And Gravity's fast. Yep. Gravity's fast and he's going to get hurt sometimes. Like, similar, similar to some people are going to aspirate sometimes. It's going to be okay because then they take that when mm-hmm. they fall or when they aspirate. They say, okay, that happened. Let's figure out That's right. not to let that happen again. Yeah. They have to reconfigure. You've had an injury. You've got to reconfigure your system to compensate That's for right. it. And to do that, you just have to practice. And they have to know what an error actually is yes. in order to know how to respond to it. Yep. And something that we found with some of our patients is... Getting them to a place where they can know even what the signal means. So there's one thing saying, yeah, I felt that. And you can see a bolus go into someone's trachea five seconds before they swallow and they try to swallow. And it's draining down there and then they swallow. So, okay, yeah, there's a big delay here, blah, blah, blah. And then you go, hey, did you did you feel anything going the wrong, wrong way? And they're like, yep. I'm like, okay. So they can sense it, but they have no sense sure. that that's an error. Yeah. So there's not just do I sense it. We just assume that if anyone senses it in the trachea, they're just going to cough. But not necessarily. Sometimes people don't know what to do with that information because they haven't had that experience in so long. Sure. I want to expand on the comparing, you know, PT or practice with walking and they need that experience to how I think we, a lot of times when I'm explaining with a patient, like aspiration, we, it, you know, like we're preventing that versus like a PT, they're helping you walk without falling, mm-hmm. falling has a lot bigger consequences, can have anyways, you know, you can break your hip, you can have a bleed on the brain versus mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we start thinking of aspiration as the worst thing that can happen yeah, to the patient that's a great when, point. if it's not a true like choking event on yeah. a hot dog, bread, whatever that yeah. might actually block the airway, then a little bit of aspiration may be great in the long run yeah. practice for them. But I think again, we just kind of like we drift yeah, towards sure. just that whole protecting the airway at all costs, mm-hmm. which is like you said, taking away the experience from yep. the patient. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely true. I think we just over-exaggerate that. And it just, it all comes full circle in, in the idea that, you know, it's not on my watch. Yeah. yeah. So I think what we could summarize here is that swallow onset is a sensory motor integrated event event you require a sensory stimulus to tell the brainstem to initiate some kind of cascade of motor movements Mm -hmm. and in healthy people it's a stereotypical uh cascade of events that happens in patients it if it triggers late it could trigger the whole thing beautifully or it could trigger some things but the point is a trigger is necessary if there's no trigger people often call that aphasia so we started with that idea and then we moved to the idea that there are ways to identify this, and the best way is really video, video fluoroscopy because it's the transition between the oral and the pharyngeal phases, so you kind of have to see both of them relative to each other. Does that mean that fees is no, nowhere better than a bedside? Absolutely not. Fees is significantly better than a bedside, but it's just in this per, this particular event, it's just not as good as a floral. The bedside, I would never, and again, go back and look for any Inessa Humbert or Johnson. Was I Johnson? I don't know. Maybe look for Inessa Johnson notes where I may have actually tried to check a box suggesting delay. And over the many years, I've realized that's bullshit because I can't even confirm that somebody swallowed, sure. much less that it's a five-second delay. And guess what? 
maybe a five second delay even on flora was not necessarily a bad thing sure so at the bedside you have these long times that you think are the case what happens when you know it for sure on flora and they never aspirate with a five second delay then what sure yeah i mean and you know the way that i, th- I don't think we explicitly said this is that the way to, tr- in my opinion, the way to truly objectively measure a delay is that you take the time between when the hyoid bone, or when the bolus passes the ramus of the mandible, that time between when that event happens and when hyoid burst occurs, um, there is normative data for that. And if that time period is prolonged, it's past the ramus of the mandible, there's been a significant amount of time from when the hyoid burst occurs, yeah, more likely the bolus has gotten to the piriforms. Like, it's more mm-hmm. likely that if that time period is longer, then, yeah, more likely or not, it's in the piriforms. But just because it's in the piriforms doesn't mean that it was delayed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people actually have short times between the bolus passing the ramus exactly. and the and hyoid burst, but they aspirate all the time because the bolus doesn't go around the airway. It goes right in the airway. Sure. And the point is, is for the bolus to follow these natural paths of protection. And some people just have the kind of anatomy that allows the bolus to drain into the airway. So it's not necessarily just your physiologic response time. It's also your anatomy. Anatomy, yep. And it's how quickly your um, laryngeal vestibule closes, which well, I hope yeah. is going to be in the Whoop, next, next segment. One. Yeah. The next one is, thank you Buckle for that up, segue. it'll be four hours long. I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> Somebody just did her dissertation in the area <laughs> and is excited about it. So yes, that is our next topic. Um, um, Becca, do you have any last words about your first podcast about a very controversial topic, swallow onset delay? I think that we covered a lot of ground, but I think the most important thing that we hit on a couple times was just the delay all by itself is is just a delay, but not a disorder. Yeah. It's almost like somebody who often loosens their balance, but never falls. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's just some people who, they're just unsteady. They're clumsy. They always, they always kind of, whoa, 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 and they never fall. You're like, does that mean they're going to be in is- a, what? This is bringing me back to my Baltimore days. You can edit this out. But it's the people, have you ever seen the compare, you've you've lived in Baltimore, it's like the people that are drunk versus people that are on um, heroin. Yeah, they're totally different. People that are drunk fall immediately. People that are on heroin have that bobble. Yeah. You have those toys that are... Their whole gate, the bottom, their whole gate they will is fall a like this and <laughs> bounce back up and you're like there's something about people that are on drugs that they don't fall yeah like they will like tumble but they don't fall but that's because maybe they've adapted to this balance thing and people who are drunk they have these acute events where they aren't drunk and then they are drunk so they can't deal with the error quite as well yeah i'm glad we got that figured out yeah i will say what's fun being um with you guys for, for the podcast is that i've been listening to it for the last two years but now i can see you, you always say things like oh you can't see my hand right now you can't see like, i can see everything you just you just saw my hand representation of a heroin app. i know exactly <laughs> like, it looks like a very in, slow a very slow clap it looks like yeah. a slow clap everybody if you're wondering yeah. what that just i'm just picturing people on their eye I just feel like that is the perfect end to this podcast, differentiating drunk people from heroin addicts and how they fall and how that somehow plays into swallow on today. I think that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs>